Blog Talk Radio. It's been a long road getting from there to here. It's been a long time, but my time is finally here. I can feel the change in the way right now. Nothing's in my way. Good evening, everyone. This is Dr. Jess Armine coming to you from the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine here in southeastern Pennsylvania. Good evening, everybody. I'm so glad you joined us tonight. This is going to be a very interesting show. I'm sure that I'm going to have to wear my lead underwear and uh, be careful how I exit the building because I'm about to um, let everybody know uh, what's been going on. Anyway, um, I don't have any real announcements uh, for things going on at the center. That's going to be uh, probably next week. But uh, you've seen me advertise this. Does your practitioner really know how to address methylation and MTHFR? I've written about this. Sean has written about this. And last week, a lot of things came to a head. So I'm going to share with you something that Sean wrote that I think um, kind of encapsulates why uh, this particular podcast. And by the way, unfortunately, Sean cannot join us tonight, but um, he will try like next week. Uh, By the way, uh, if you are uh, interested in chatting, okay, I'll be at 646-595-2277 after I give the lecture. Okay, I have published the updated PDF uh, practically everywhere. It is at the top of the chat room. Okay, feel free to ask uh, questions via the chat room. Uh, It's just me here running everything, so (laughs) don't forget, all right? Okay, and uh, he wrote it, and it's not really tongue-in-cheek. It's uh, because we're pretty angry, actually. We saw this coming, and um, we were hoping it didn't, but it's it's here. It says, "Dear Dear Supplement Companies, what you are doing is bastardizing a new approach to medicine, wanting to jump on the bandwagon. Now you're coming up with elaborate applications and programs showing what supplements to use for a specific gene mutation. Pardon my French, but this is utter bull. Unless you know the history of the person's symptoms as well as ask detailed questions, you will never know if the pathway is even expressing. Thinking you are helping the cause, what you will do is making meth- what you're going to do is make methylation and related areas of science look like quackery, as if they don't look at us like that now, to the medical community, whom many have already ha- mm, hold on, who many already have their head in the sand. 
for the people on the forefront of research <clears throat> looking to help make a change in the system, they're going to have a much harder time because of your intervention. He's talking about the, um, the uh, supplement companies. Associating a product with a specific gene mutation will not only give more firepower to the powers who will be discrediting methylation and epigenetics, turning the whole system against us. After spending countless hours of having practitioners get deprogrammed about treating the person and not treating the SNP, we have come full circle and ending up at ground zero. Again, this is this is you know why I'm doing this show. Thank you for taking one of the thank you for taking one of the most wonderful advancements in medicine in a long time and mucking it up. And of course he signs it the mad nutritional biochemist. So this is what this show is going to be about. I'm going to reiterate right from the beginning where MTHFR came from, why it's so, why everybody thinks it's so important. We're going to talk about methylation and why people think that's so important. Okay, and I'm going to start putting it into its proper perspective. And if you don't have the PDF, I suggest you get your hands on it <clears throat> because I spent an awful lot of time putting these visuals together so you'd understand what's going on. So first off... Um, I'm going to do some acknowledgments. Um, some of the stuff I have, is, uh, some of the research I did for this was taken from the writings of uh, MTHFR pioneer Sterling Hill, Erdi, creator of MTHFRsupport.com and Sterling's app, now version 1 and 2. <clears throat> the ebook MTHFR Basics by uh, Dr. Ben Lynch, which is, of course, available on Amazon.com. Some of the writings of Dr. Amy Asco, who's also one of the pioneers. Uh, other references that I'll make on particular pages. And the advertisements that I have copied are from the public domain and are not private or or one more time, private or proprietary in any way. I have not named individuals or companies. Okay, and um, of course, all patient identifying data has been removed for privacy reasons. So, next thing, MTH, MTHFR and methylation. It's really simple, right? Okay, and everybody's making such a big deal out of it, but what is MTHFR and how important is it really? Here's where it all began, and I'm going to cut off here so I can cough. And in order to understand this, I think we need to get a little history on it, and that means we've got to go back. What we're gonna do right here is go back, way back, back into time, when the only people that existed were troglodytes, cavemen, cave women, Neanderthal. Well, I don't think we have to go back quite that far, but. A lot of people, you know, look at MTHFR and say, oh, my God, this is the most horrible thing in creation. Okay, hopefully that made everybody laugh. Um, that's what I do. I like to make people laugh. It's just my thing. Okay? Uh, the history of MTHFR, I'm gonna, and then I'm going to go through it. Uh, it several years ago, uh, there was studies that showed that uh, MTHFR, which is also known as methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase, and by the way, people, if I say something really fast, it is meant to be ignored. Okay, they associated MTHFR with high homocysteine levels. So hyperhomocysteinemia is uh, a cardiac marker. It's, it tells you have a lot of inflammation, you might have a heart attack. 
So they said, hey, if we look for these MTHFR mutations, we can predict have cardiac problems. And of course, they only looked at two of the genes, and I think there are like 50, five zero genes. Okay, there's a lot of them. And they looked at the C677 and the, T- and the 1298C, and you're all familiar with that, okay? And they associated with homocysteine, but it didn't really work out like that. Okay, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But they had the testing, so a lot of people started doing this testing, people with chronic illnesses, and they found out that, like, if you had miscarriages, you had MTHFR. If you had um, various chronic illnesses, you can find the websites that you can put MTHFR, and you'll have these big, long lists of conditions that are associated with MTHFR. But really, what was going on is they were associating MTHFR with causing those conditions, and that was not true. Okay, because they didn't have anything else to stand on, by the way. But as the world of epigenetics blossomed, okay, and by the way, you have a genome and an epigenome. The genome is makes you a mammalian, male or female. Your epigenome are those genes that encode enzymes that run your bio, biochemistry of your body, run your body's processes. Okay, so really. Okay, they looked at MTHFR and said MTHFR causes this, and the combinations cause that. And then you have the uh, MTHFR, you know. Uh, heteros- you know, compound heterozygous. The fact was, you were looking at a gene, you were looking at one little gene in a sea of genes and saying that this caused all these maladies. And what really happened was these MTHFR may have been involved in various pathways, okay, that were predispositions, and given certain circumstances, those predispositions would express. But let's start at the beginning. Let's start with MTHFR. Okay, MTHFR is a gene. Okay, genes encode or create enzymes. Enzymes, amongst other things, make our body's biochemistry work. MTHFR has been known by names like the mother-father gene or other (laughs) unsavory names. Okay, but what it is is methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase. And that's why I told you why people pay so much attention to it. And, And frankly, you know, for the most part, Methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase does kind of one thing. It takes 510-methylene tetrahydrofolate and turns it into 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate. Okay, it's part of the methylation pathway. It's, an, it's one of the parts. It's, I guess it's an important part because if you pull one of them away, it's not a good thing. Okay, And I know that it's involved in the biopterin pathway to a certain extent in creating neurotransmitters, but it isn't the end all and all. Okay, And <clears throat> so when people have an MTHFR mutation, and you're going to treat the mutation, which I think is kind of foolish anyway. What do you do? You should give them 5-methylfolate. That's kind of it. You have about 20 different names for it. But this one treatment for all these alleged maladies. And as you well know, if you've taken this stuff, sometimes it makes you feel really good. And sometimes it blows the back of your head off. And that's because people aren't thinking. Okay? So if we go to the next panel... NTHFR's function, like I told, like I just told you before, with the fancy words, changes dietary folate and folic acid into forms that the body can use, like methylfolate. Okay, and of course, the best source of folate, folates are green leafy vegetables, folinic acid, and uh, methylfolate, and those are uh, from Dr. Ben's book. If you go to the next panel, you're going to see from Dr. Yasko part of that big picture and that the middle circle is the methylation pathway. Now, you know, a lot of people are just talking about methylation 
And that's all they talk about is methylation, and that's the biggest thing in creation. It's methylation, 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 okay? And the fact is the methylation pathway is that little pathway that goes from THF, which is tetrahydrofolate, okay, which is the, really the folate pathway, and goes all the way up until you get to methionine, okay? And that little circle is essentially, essentially the methylation pathway. So looks pretty daunting to me, and of course you have some methylation over in the remethylation area where you SAM and saw SAHR, but okay, we're just going to consider this because I want to sh make a point. Okay, you go to the next panel, and you see a broader view. Okay, you see Dr. Yasko's <clears throat> um, SNPs that, uh, that everybody kind of references, okay, or used to reference uh, often, and in the middle circle, okay, that's where methylation is on the right-hand circle. You're seeing the methionine pathway, okay, and the cobalamin pathway kind of stuck in there somewhere, okay, and as you go down south, you're seeing where homocysteine becomes cystathione, but you're seeing the transsulfuration pathway because that's how you create glutathione. If we go to the left of the methylation pathway, you're seeing the biopterin pathway. It's one of those words that has that, like, uh, like a pterodactyl, you, you don't produce, you, and this is part of your creation of neurotransmitters. And off to the left, you have um, the Krebs cycle, energy creation. <clears throat> I think the person who's done the best job on this has been Dr. Ben Lynch. Okay, and on the next, you see the big kahuna, what I like to call the big kahuna, which is uh, this is a bit of an earlier version of uh, Dr. Ben's pathway planner. Okay, which shows the biopterin pathway on the uh, left-hand side uh, on the top, and you see the um, methionine pathway, and you see the transsulfuration pathway, the methionine being the upper right and the transsulfuration being the lower right. Okay, and um, the um, conjugation of the neurotransmitters and so forth. But the, the point here is that in the brackets here is the methylation pathway, and there's a whole lot more to this small little thing okay, than just methylation. Okay, methylation is a part of it, and I'm not being overly exact here, but methylation is just a, simply a small part. <clears throat> and when you're working in this area, um, the pathway plan is one of the better things you can use because it not only shows you the pathways in one of that in that broken out fashion that you can look in between each of the pathways and figure out the cofactors and coenzymes and so forth, okay, but uh, you have to realize methylation is one small part of the pathways. And, you know, I know an integrated psychiatrist, and, and when I would visit her, she had this big old poster on the wall, and I found it. Okay, it's on the next page. It's all your biochemical pathways, every single one of them on one big poster. And, of course, this is on her entire wall. And I spent about an hour blowing this up, you know, getting the PNG file, and if you see that, blue line, that's where the methylation pathway is, okay, roughly. I guess it's a little bit north or south of that, but the fact is the methylation pathway is that little spot. Out of all your biochemical pathways, that's where it is, okay, and that's, it may be important, but everything else is important too, okay, and that's a big point that I'd like everybody to learn is that although methylation may be considered important, it is not any more important than the rest of the biochemical pathways in your body. Okay, as a matter of fact, they kind of all work together, all right? And if you look on the next page, you'll see that picture of the galaxy where it says you're here, okay, on that Sagittarius arm. So the, our little solar system, you know, in relation to that entire galaxy, okay, um, is not insignificant, but it isn't everything, okay? So why did I explain M-teacher for methylation this way? Well, 
I wanted to give you a sense of what the pathway does and its relative importance. I wanted to give you perspective of where methylation fits in the entirety of your biochemical pathways. And I have spent my entire, this part of my career, empowering people with good knowledge. Okay, at least I can look at anybody in the in, square in the face and say I am doing my best to give you the best knowledge. You know, I have never, I've never been completely right all the time. Okay, but um, and I can, you know, all my patients will tell you if you learn something new, he's right, he's right at us all the time. You know, trying to change things. And yes, I make mistakes. And yes, you know, I'm a human being. I know everybody thinks that I'm not a human being because they've tested my DNA and they can't find anything. But we won't speak of it. Okay. But I wanted to empower people with the knowledge that MTHFR and methylation are not, I repeat, not the alpha and omega of your health problems, okay? And I wanted to give a basis for the remainder of this podcast. So on the next page, you see, like, how should the genes be used, okay? On the next panel, essentially, you really can't treat a gene. You can't treat a SNP. If somebody tells you that they're treating a single nucleotide polymorphism, what you're telling me is that you're taking, let's use MTHFR, MTHFR, C677T heterozygous or homozygous, and you're making it MTHFR C677T normal. Okay, and that is a physical impossibility. Okay, what you're supposed to do, what takes time to learn is to treat the body using the genes as guideposts. Like if you understand the pathways and the genes in the pathways and the fact that the genes encode enzymes and then if those enzymes don't seem to be working well and they can't handle a lot of oxidative stress, okay, you're going to know where the body's going to fail. You're going to know at least where to point, okay, where to start looking. So you have to treat what has caused the SNPs to express because let's face it, Genetics loads the gun, but environment pulls the trigger. Everybody who's got a predisposition to rheumatoid arthritis does not get rheumatoid arthritis. Okay, otherwise, if that were true, they have rheumatoid arthritis at birth. Okay, my biggest phrase that I've been saying to people who are screaming, jumping up and down, methylation, 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 you know, this has got this is the reason for all my problems. It's like, I tell them, why now? Why wasn't it a problem at birth? Why wasn't it a problem during childhood? Okay, genetic duplications, things like trisomy 21 or PTLS, which we did a show on, those are genetic duplications. They are apparent at birth. They are present at birth. Okay, you're going to notice it. You can test for it. You know, you're going to know a Down syndrome baby. Okay, this is, uh, this is something where you can even help that by, you know, looking at all the pathways and making sure you optimize the pathway, and that's called nutrigenomics. But you can't change a polymorphism. Okay, you can change the genetic expression, you can affect the genetic expression, but you cannot change the polymorphism. And people who say they can or indicate that they can and they don't say it out loud are either uninformed or frankly lying to you. Okay, so, you know, this kind of stuff takes time and effort to learn. Okay, it really does. And I can tell you because my learning curve when I first started, when I started working with genetics, I, I was kind of brought in because I understood neuroimmunology neuro but really well. I understood all the other physiology, okay? And as a matter of fact, when the Neuroscience Corporation was certifying people in neuroendoimmunology, I got the first certification. My son just looked at me and says, your certification going to say one? You know, but <laughs> I knew it really, really well, okay? And that's why some people call me the neurotransmitter whisperer, okay? And I understand that doctors needed a simplified approach because when you start looking at um, 
Sterling's app or you look at Luguelo's app, there's so much information there that it collapses on itself. And you start, you start shaking your head and saying, no, no, no. I, I can't understand that. I can't put it into the pathways. Okay. And that's not a, that's not a bad thing, by the way, uh, that it, we should simplify it, but it kind of depends. Like wh- I want to show you what's being presented to you and to the healthcare providers. This is the response that is making us upset. Okay. I'm not going to mention the program that this is a program that encourages people encourages the utilization of various supplements based on the SNPs. Okay, so you can see that they're talking about a SNP on the top. Okay, it's the NAT2, and they're saying encourage NAC, vitamin B2, B3, vitamin B5, or molybdenum. Okay, now, you have to understand something. They may be saying to you, oh, no, no, it's the healthcare provider's job to see if these are expressing. We're just talking about what you should encourage. But the fact is, unless somebody tells the healthcare providers, trains them, Okay, they're just going to go back to their base method of doing things, which is algorithmic. In other words, I see that, I give that. That test is positive, I give this. Okay, and we all remember, you know, one of Sherlock Holmes' favorite sayings is that it's a capital mistake to theorize without data because insensibly you will twist facts to suit theories instead of twisting theories to suit facts. Okay, and this is the way our healthcare providers have been taught since the 70s. Okay, let's just kind of determine the, you know, the, the diagnosis, good a diagnosis, so that we can shove somebody into that, and then we have an algorithm to follow how they how they should be treated. And that's how we've ended up where we are now, with a whole mess of people ill. Okay, and nobody really knows what's going on because the signs are being ignored. Okay, here. What is a healthcare provider going to do? They're going to look down, up, and down and say, okay, this is what I'm going to give them because they have the SNPs. And that no one's asking or properly assessing whether these SNPs are expressing or not. Here's another program. Okay, it's a little bit more extensive. Okay, and it's prettier too. So, you know, it tells you what SNPs they found and what the SNPs mean. Okay, and as I was going through it, I see, you know, uh, GAMT creatine is needed for many functions. Variants in these genes may indicate the need for supplemental creatine. I'm like, mm, okay. You know, then I started seeing things uh, like the GAD enzyme converts glutamate, which can make you anxious, into GABA, which may be calming. May be calming? Well, I always thought that GABA was the, uh, the main neurotransmitter to calm the brain. But then I saw down variants in the DAO genes impact neurotransmitters in a manner in a way that is not yet fully known. I don't know if this is a very old program, but guess what? We know that the DAO diamine oxidase is what helps metabolize histamine, and histamine is an excitatory neurotransmitter. So I started scratching my head and saying, gee, why would they be saying things like this where they should know about that? And they're giving you a very limited view. Okay, so there's 44 SNPs. I'm using those interchangeably, whereas Sterling Apps looks at 825, and I know very quickly she's adding another 150. So you're not even getting like all the pathways here. So I started asking myself why. Well, it's it's good old American marketing strategy. You know, you create a need, and you look to fulfill the need. You know, if everybody's afraid of methylation, if everybody, you know, is going to look at MTHFR as being this horrible thing, well, you know, I'm going to promulgate that, I'm going to support that, and now I'm going to fulfill a need. So what you didn't see was the practitioner's copy of that same program. 
okay, I happen to have, this is one of my patients, and of course I, I pulled it all apart. Okay, it's a little hard to see, but I'll show you it blown up on the next page. Okay, that program says you've got all these problems, and then if you go to the next page, you're going to see it's going to tell you exactly what to give the person. And, of course, this is given out by a single company that has these products, okay, to support SOD and inflammation, support ATP production, um, okay, uh, and they'll tell you methylation assist, CBS, BHMT assist, Okay, it's based on the polymorphism, not on a condition of the patient. So I went as far as to start looking around for the products themselves. Okay, and here they are. Okay, you see the nice smiling uh, lady with the uh, stethoscope around her neck. And these are the products, okay, that are tied to that program. Okay, no, no must, no fuss. You don't even have to think. Just plug it in, okay, and the program tells you what to give. And if you look on the next page, you'll see a little close-up of the various products, but methylation accelerator, okay, probioactive folate, glutathione accelerator, okay, uh, methyl assist, and there's a whole mess of other ones coming out also. I did notice that they didn't have diamine oxidase, which uh, is, is kind of common, and um, maybe that's the reason why, maybe, I don't know, maybe that's the reason why they kind of downplayed the presence of DAO and Let's face it, you know, if you have DAO and you've got HNMT and all the, you know, histamine-type sniffs going on, and you have points to the fact that you might have a lot of histamine running around, and if you have a lot of DAO sniffs, means that you might not be able to metabolize that histamine, which may be a good reason for leaky cells, okay? And with leaky cells, you're going to be sick all the time, and if you start looking at the phospholipid polymorphisms, you may kind of get the idea that you can't, you know, repair those cells. So... The genes are used as pointers, not as exactitudes, okay, and certainly not a method to utilize, um, a method to just give you different kinds of product, okay. Uh, here's another one, uh, the lady with the green lips, okay. This is another uh, um, another company out there that will take your 23andMe, and they will formulate your vitamins, give you exactly what you need, okay. No more guesswork, no more one-size-fits-all, no more worrying about quality, no more pill counting, they will pack your vitamins, they will give it to you in little bubble packs, okay, and they'll deliver it to you, giving you exactly the right dosage to save you time, money, and space. But the vitamin pack is tailored to your genes. No one has examined you. No one has even asked you a question. Oh, you may fill out a, you know, a questionnaire or something, but that's a far cry from having a experienced healthcare provider, um, you know, interview you. Okay, so they're going to sell their vitamins, okay, and give you, and I'm sure it costs a reason. I'm not, I know what the costs are, but I'm not going to say it. Okay, so is this really a way to get somebody healed? Okay, this is what we're seeing, and we're seeing so many companies doing the same exact thing. And my, my joke here is that that's probably why this lady's lips are green. And I was really shocked because this past week, even venerable established companies you think wouldn't be engaging in this, okay, are engaging in this. And here is a uh, advertisement where you you know seek new potential, test, translate, target, okay. You're going to do the 23andMe. This company will take a 23andMe, identify the 18 methylation SNPs, and translate the results into specific recommendations. You know, in other words, they're going to give you they give their practitioner exclusive website application. But all it does is look at the eight SNPs concerning methylation, 
Okay, and then you're going to translate that into what you should give to a patient. That's seemingly easy. That's seemingly, oh, wow, you're using science. You're not. Okay, you're just selling product. Okay, and I know that, you know, that people are going to, you know, come after me and start yelling and screaming and jumping up and down, but you know something? The best defense is the truth. Okay? You shouldn't be doing stuff like this. You just absolutely should not. Okay? Um, this is, I don't know. I don't know how to say it, except that it's wrong. Okay, it's wrong and it's making me angry. It's making Sean angry. Okay, because we spend so much trying trying to learn and trying to put this in its proper perspective and people are being pushed into the methylation thing and by itself, it shouldn't be such a big deal. It should be part of what everybody is um, presented. So how are the docs learning? I mean, who's educating the healthcare practitioners? You know, I started looking into that. Okay, and again, I'm not going to mention names. Okay, because I don't feel like putting up with the um, lawsuits. But uh, let me tell you what it takes to practice quote-unquote methylation. Okay, which means practicing nutrigenomics. Okay, and like I said, I use the term loosely. Okay, in other words, what does it take to practice to be able to care for complex cases with the expertise of Sean Bean, myself, Dr. Ben Lynch, Dr. Amy Asco, people like Sterling Hill, Cynthia Smith, and uh, there's several people. And there's not all that many in our group. Okay, you know why? Because it took a ton of research. It takes a ton of experience. Okay, you can't be like, you know, a doc right out of school, you know, with no experience in being able to, you know, start working this. You have to be able to collaborate with others. You've got to share with your friends. You know, you can't be holding it like a dog with a bone. Okay, this takes an awful lot of collaboration. I'll tell you a really fast story. You know, two years ago, mitochondrial dysfunction, okay, not mitochondrial disease, but mitochondrial dysfunction, which was a known condition, okay, was considered incurable. Okay, I know Dr. My Helen England was working on it and so forth and so on. Uh, I remember very clearly... Uh, during one show, Sean's sitting there and finding all the polymorphisms, all the SNPs, all the genes that are in the electronic transport chain, the electron transport chain of the mitochondria. Okay, and when we put that into Sterling's app, she was kind enough to do a study with about 100, of, 100 chronically ill people, and we started seeing commonalities. Okay, by and by we found out, actually I found out what it took to open up that pathway. And Dr. Ben Lynch, because we all collaborate, found the exact reason why it worked. And whereas at the time, all you could do was these IVs that cost $1,000 a piece, now you can get IVs or oral products and so forth that will open up that mitochondrial pathway. Okay, and now it's commonplace to fix it. And think about what that does, your mitochondria, your powerhouse, you're talking about chronic fatigue, you're talking about fibromyalgia, you're talking about you know, um, mast cell activation disorder. You're talking about multiple chem chemical sensitivities. A lot of it based on the production of ATP or the function of the mitochondria. Two years ago, okay, it was an impossibility to fix. But because we understood the genes, because we looked, we did some research, because we collaborated and we shared with one another, okay, we were able to defeat that. And now there's a whole mess of people out there who are living much better lives because <clears throat> we weren't just treating the polymorphisms. It's very simple. And in essence, there's no shortcuts. Okay, you have to learn this stuff. You have to put the time in. You have to learn this stuff. But let's face it, 
Okay, well, we have our Quickie Weekend courses. And this particular, one's, this particular one I'm going to show you is taught by a chiropractor. Okay, and he's going to show you about health and the joy, bring joy into your practice. And I'm sorry. We'll, we'll show you how to bring more health and joy into your patients' lives by using methylation. And, of course, every once in a while you say take your practice to the next level. Is this learning to heal or a way to increase your income? I have to ask. Okay, so on the next page, you, you see part of his advertisement, which is freely available on the Internet. Okay, and methylation is a vital aspect of optimal health and function. You notice it's bolded. Okay, and then I have an arrow pointing to your patients all have methylation problems. They do? Everybody? The whole world? The entire world has methylation problems. Okay, well, I guess, you know, if you want a creative need, you know, you might be wanting to, um, you know, fix that need, okay? But let's face it, okay, this is not the end all and the know all, okay? This is just one aspect. So let's just throw this in front of you, okay? And guess what, all right? We're going to charge you $1,000 to partake, partake in okay? And we're going to teach you how to treat genes, which is an impossibility, okay? Everybody's jumping on the methylation bandwagon. This is another advertisement. And this particular, this particular advertisement is, is tied to the program that I showed you before. Okay, so the question you should be asking at this point is, you know, did your doctor take one of these quickie educational courses? How do you know? Okay, how do you know that they're really trained or not? Well, you could ask. Got a couple of hints here for you. Okay, if all of a sudden your healthcare provider starts talking methylation when he never did before, <laughs> okay, think, all right? If he starts using a computer program and starts giving you marketing materials from a vitamin company or practice management group, you might want to consider that he doesn't really know what he's talking about. Okay, or he puts in place a brand new set of vitamins, okay, that you've never seen before and all of a sudden he just buys you know, $10,000 worth of vitamins and you start, you need to walk out of his office with uh, a shopping bag full of product, um, guess what? He's probably using a program because that's what these programs are designed to do. Okay, how should your doctor be acting? How should your healthcare provider be acting? Okay, what should you expect when your healthcare provider says they quote-unquote do methylation? Well, they should know how to put genetics in its proper place. Okay, remember that methylation pathway is only this small little pathway. Okay, your healthcare provider should be doing the following. <clears throat> you should be willing to, willing and able to identify and treat not only the root causes of the dysfunction, but also attend to all the downstream effects. That is fixing whatever is necessary, fixing the primary causative, what the primary causative agent did to the body. Okay, this is what we've been teaching and espousing for a long time. As a minimum, the practitioner should have expertise in neuroendocrinology, which is the association between neurology, endocrinology, and immunology. They should understand epigenetics and nutrigenomics. Okay, they should understand how to, uh, un they should understand acquired mitochondrial dysfunction and cell wall integrity, which is kind of the basis of everything. And more than that, be willing to and able to take the proper time and effort to assess each component's con contribution to your, com your presenting complaint. In other words, knowing how to get to the bottom of what's ailing the body. Okay? In other words, to heal a fish, you have to make the water healthy. Okay? 
has shown BNI created bioindividualized medicine to teach healthcare providers to place genetics and integrative medicine as proper perspective for your benefit. Okay, and before anybody starts jumping up and down and all around, let me tell you something, all right? We have the opportunity to create our own vitamin line. We turned it down, okay? Because what we do is consult and teach, and we do so without the questionable stimulus of our own products. We could be making a lot of money, okay, but we don't because we don't have our own product line, all right? And that means that we don't get stimulated to use that product line or get a program together to push certain products, Okay, so, you know, we've been trying to do it right, and we're seeing too many people doing it wrong, and that's why we're angry. Okay, so speaking of healthcare practitioners, how do you choose? Well, you got to ask. <clears throat> there are a lot of referral lists out there, but you really have to ask yourself, how did they qualify for the list? Did they kind of take a course with or without a test? Did they att attend an online seminar or a weekend seminar? Is there no rhyme or reason? But here's, here's the thing. Did anybody work with these practitioners to make sure that they knew what they were talking about? You know, this is not the kind of thing where, you know, you can take a course and understand how this stuff works in real time in the real world. Somebody's got to work you through it. Okay, somebody's got, you have to have somebody to go to, to mentor with and say, okay, you know, you know how to put all this stuff together. It's not going to be put together in a weekend. You might walk out of a course, you know, going rah, 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 rah. But let me tell you something. When, it started, when the rubber hits the road, okay, it's a lot more complex than even we taught in our course in, um, in last January with the uh, Madam Conference. So we have a referral list, and we're really proud of our practitioners. It's a short list, okay, if you go to methylationsupport.com and click on Recommended Methylation Practitioners, I'm going to tell you how they became on our list, okay? They have to have attended physically or virtually the MABM conference in January and or taken two out of three methylation courses from Dr. Ben Lynch and or have completed FDN training, which is functional diagnostic nutrition. Entire webinar series from the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine. Uh, sorry, that's a little plug. I'm still writing it, okay? But mostly have spent sufficient time mentoring with Sean Bean and myself and have demonstrated competency in the concepts of bioindividualized medicine. And we're the only people doing this. You go to our list, and there's several people in the pipeline who are not ready yet, but they're getting close, okay, who at least I could look at, look you guys right in the nostrils and say, you know something? They understand how this works. They will take good care of you. I can never be responsible for what another person does, but I can at least try my best to make sure that people are getting, you know, quality practitioners, okay, and not just somebody who has been slapped on a list or they, because a lot of times people take these courses to get slapped onto a list. They don't have the motivation. This takes work. Okay, well, of course, you know, I'm not going to spend a lot of time in this. You know that at our office, okay, we treat biochemical malfunctions. We take histories. We do appropriate testing. Uh, we develop individualized treatment plans that can include exactly what your body needs. Okay, we take our time to work each person's condition individually because protocol is a four-letter word in our office. We practice individualized medicine. So you know how to contact us. Uh, you know, we said about a million times, you can go to bioindividualmed at gmail.com. You can go to methylationsupport.com and fill out the contact form or you can call us at the phone number uh, noted. Okay, so in conclusion, what have we learned? 
Okay. And I hope you get, I hope you've taken this away with you that MTHFR and methylation is important, but in reality is a small fish in a big ocean. A treating MTHFR and methylation in and of itself is an impossibility. You cannot change the SNPs, but you can affect their expression. As such, the products that are geared towards treating the genes are of questionable benefit. Quickie weekend courses, short webinars can only introduce these concepts, but it really takes a whole lot more to achieve a level of expertise. Okay? Computer programs that base nutritional recommendations on the polymorphisms are working from an inaccurate and dangerous premise. Okay? And when choosing a healthcare provider, be discerning because you need to know what their actual expertise in the area is. And here's the biggest indicator. If you want to get well, treat the water, okay, in order to heal the fish. Bottom line. Okay? So, I am ready for you guys. Alrighty? Anybody who has any questions can call 646-595-2277. If you have other questions, uh, you can go in the chat room here. Okay, there's some people logging out and some people logging in. Okay, I'd be very happy to take questions at the present time. Okay, um, I see some people on the li on the um, switchboard, so I'm going to go up this list here and see if they just haven't been listening in or um, if they actually have questions. Hi, this is Dr. Armine. Did you, were you listening in or did you have a question? Okay. Hi, this is Dr. Armine. Uh, are you there? Any person in the 301 area code? Okay. Okay, next person in the 631 area code. Are you there? Were you just listening in or did you have a question? Okay. Well, that I have everybody in the chat room, does anybody have any questions about what I chattered about? Okay, this is a, your opportunity. Okay. Okay, here's somebody else calling in. Hi, nice person in the 301 area code. How are you? Hello. Yeah. Hi, this is Dr. Romain. Hi. Okay, uh, how are you? I'm um, doing okay. I'm going to actually be doing a phone consult with you on Thursday. Cool. Um, I've had Lyme disease for about uh, 15 years, and this whole idea of the methyl, methyl, methylization pathway related to detox has been a big point with me with some of the other practitioners that I've worked with. Mm -hmm. So how how does that actually relate to the detox pathway? I'm glad you asked the question because uh, essentially what you need to know is that although methylation is something to be considered, detoxification is not dependent totally on methylation. 
Okay, there's a lot more involved. And really, when you're talking about any polymorphism or any biochemical pathway, okay, what you're really talking about is highways. Okay, and whether the highways are eight lanes or two lanes wide, it doesn't matter. If you put enough traffic in them, it they will slow down, and you will not be getting what you need, whether that's detoxification, the production of a particular product, or what. Okay, so even though people are touting methylation as being a very big part, it's no bigger than any other biochemical pathway. Okay, to be considered. And that's why we engage in foundational treatment or what some people are calling biological terrain treatment because trying to treat detoxification by pushing, if you will, the one pathway is, you know, is wrong. It is, I can't think of a good analogy. You know, it's like the um, tail wagging the dog. Okay, it's backwards. Okay, you fix the body, and those pathways begin to clear up. You know, in the fluoroquinolone toxicity world, there are, and they call themselves phloxies, there's a whole mess of people who resolve on their own, okay? And they resolve on their own by eating organic and not getting themselves, um, you know, uh, reflux and so forth. And guess what? If you're If you can recover from something as serious as that by allowing your pathways to rebuild on their own, without pushing anyone in particular, then there must be something to that, okay? The point I'm trying to make with everybody is that they should not so thoroughly concentrate on methylation. It's part of the, the greater whole, not, you know, a god or a, or a devil in and of itself. And it should not be concentrated on with the vehemence and with the force that people are concentrating on it. And I don't have a problem with patients concentrating on it or practitioners. I have a real big problem that the several companies have taken up the gauntlet and saying, okay, we can treat the genes and here are your products to do it. Okay. That only encourages incorrect ways of treatment. You know, I could, I could call it other names, but you know, I don't want to sound too unprofessional, but you know, if you, want to consider three or four or five or six or seven or eight genes, and then you have the products that that computer programs are going to tell you to use, then how accurate are you going to be? You know, I've, I've looked at methylation pathways that could be identical, okay? I've had two identical twins in front of me, same pathways, and they react differently to methylating products, okay? So that MTHFR was positive in both of them, one of them would take methyl B12, let's say, or methyl, uh, 5-methylfolate and get all kinds of anxiety reactions. The other one it felt them, made them feel, feel wonderful, okay? The genes in and of themselves do not tell you. They tell you about probabilities. You have to ask the questions. You have to do the case review so you know what's expressing, and then you have to know how to treat people, okay? You have to know what things to use in what order, okay? And detoxification is often, you know, they'll use coffee enemas, we'll use this, just that. And sometimes they forget the real basics, like let's give people alkaline water and just kind of start flushing out all the toxins that have been dumped into the lymphatic system. Okay, sometimes it's simple stuff, okay? And if you clear that out, then the detoxification pathways will start clearing out. And doesn't that include the methylation pathway? If you take the traffic out of the pathway, aren't you fixing the pathway? Does every single pathway need 
the cofactors and coenzymes? Do you need to specifically give them, or can you do it more generally so the body can put it in its proper place? You know, you can. We've been using green leafy vegetables as a folate precursor, and the body's been making methylfolate for you know years upon years upon years upon years. You know, why do we have? Especially when the reaction can be so prominent. For some people, it really works well, and for some people, it doesn't. You know, you need to be able to know how this works and why it works and why it doesn't work, if it doesn't work, and what you should be fixing. People should not be treating the methylation pathway in and of itself. That's the only point I'm making. Okay. Okay? Thank you. You're most welcome. Okay. we got plenty of time here, people. Okay, anybody else would like to call in and ask a question or if you're in the chat room, okay, if you'd like to ask a question, I will be most happy to um, to attempt to answer it. I'm surprised I'm getting so benign of responses. Okay. When we talk about, um, just to let you know, we're talking about different pathways, okay? When you look at your 23andMe, okay, and it doesn't matter which um, which application you use, okay, you're going to see things that are either normal, uh, heterozygous, or homozygous, okay? You think of the normal as being like an eight-lane highway and the heterozygous being like a four-lane highway and the homozygous being like a two-lane highway, okay? Um, if, in fact... Uh, you have a bunch of homozygous polymorphisms, it means that that pathway may not work as well as it should, but you have to always ask the question, why now? Okay, when you were a baby, it was working just fine. What is different now? What's putting the traffic in the pathways? Even if you have an eight-lane highway, you can block it up, you put enough traffic in there. Okay, just look at the freeways in California. Well, the traffic is things like toxicity, food allergies, um, viruses, bacteria, uh, and any other thing that might make the pathways overwork. And this is why people get sick later on. Okay, right now we're beginning to see that people are getting sicker earlier. Okay, it's not because of the genes. Okay, we're having more autism now, not because there is genetic differences, but because of the toxicity in the environment, some people blame it on immunizations and, you know, the fact that we have so many immunizations. By the time the NMR comes along, you know, some kids have had, you know, between 15 and 21 immunizations. They're giving them three of them before leaving the hospital, before the neurological system's even organized, okay, before the immune system doesn't even work for the first two weeks, and then you're throwing heavy metals and viral fragments at them. Okay, I kind of wonder, you know, we have, we talked about with Stephanie Seneff, the uh, GMO foods and the glyphosates. Okay, the glyphosates, very clearly, okay, will attack and make the gut not work well. Okay, so that kind of begins the whole leaky gut scenario. And once you start having leaky gut, okay, you start upregulating your immune system, and then after a little while you dysregulate the immune system, and it can't recognize self, and it can't fight off all the infections that you're being exposed to, and things can take root. Okay, methylation didn't cause that. Okay, it's part and parcel of what causes methylation not to work. 
So you got to get after the root causes. You have to know how to fix the body so that it can defend itself. All right, when you look at a CD57 or something, you see everything low and you say, oh, that's chronic Lyme. Oh, yeah, it could be. It could be chronic anything. And what it means is that your immune system is overcommitted. Okay, when your immune system is not fighting off what it should fight off, it's not stopped working, unless you have HIV or something like that. But, you know, but for the most part, it hasn't stopped working. What's happened is it's just fighting too many battles at once. It's like an army going into, you know, a, a, a country, and the general says, hey, there's a lot of battles to be fought, so he, can, he gives, you know, as, as many soldiers as he can to each battle, but they, they're not winning. Okay, as a matter of fact, uh, they're losing by attrition. Okay, when you start looking at the body and saying, hey, let's, let's get the base physiology fixed. Let's get them, you know, let's get their energy system working. Let's get them more alkaline. Let's get them, let's get them hydrated. You know, let's give them the uh, cofactors and coenzymes that they need. Let's look for the oxalates. Okay, see if they have high oxalates that would be binding the um, cofactors that work the biochemical pathways are creating these crystals that make all the conjugation pathways start crashing. You know, in other words, things simply won't work. If you start looking at these, treating the methylation pathway, you're treating the body, okay? And you're starting to take the traffic out of the pathways, whether it's methylation, whether it's the folate pathway, whether it's the bioptrin pathway, the transulfuration pathway, you know, the methionine pathway, the cobalamin pathway, whatever pathway you want to talk about, the electron transport chain of the mitochondria, you know, you can throw as much NAD you want at the electron transport chain. You are not going to fix it if the oxidative stress is so high. You'll fix it for about 10 minutes, and then it will crash again. Okay, so are you just going to treat methylation? Okay, the point is that methylation and NTHFR, although part of the greater whole should not be treated as a single entity and should not be treated as what it's being treated as now. You know, hi, you've got these SNPs, take these medicines. That's, or take these uh, vitamins. That's the worst way to treat somebody. The absolute worst way. You know, I'm sitting here looking and I'm wondering how come nobody's asking more questions? Either that or you'll agree with me. I know that's not true, okay? I get a lot of disagreements and you know, feel free to argue with me. Um, guess not, huh? Okay, so anyway, um, if you go to your healthcare practitioner, okay, and your healthcare practitioner is simply you know, is telling you about methylation and you know, it's the kind of the first time they're talking about it and does a test on you, wants to sell you a whole mess of, you know, a whole mess of vitamins, they may or may not be able to explain methylation to you. But if they can't explain methylation to you, if they don't even know what MTHFR means, and a lot of my medical friends, they just test for C677 and 1298C, and all they have to offer you is Deplin or 5-methylfolate or any form of 5-methylfolate, okay? And you realize that your healthcare provider doesn't know what they're talking about or they're just following some kind of algorithm and they're not doing their due diligence, in other words, trying to find truly doing good Lyme testing, let's say, not just a screening exam, doing proper Lyme testing, doing, you know, looking, taking a good history and trying to figure out by listening what is going on with somebody, listening for the temporal relationships, listening to what could possibly have accumulated. You know, if you've taken a trip to Mexico and then Nicaragua and places where parasites abound, guess what? Okay, you have to think about parasites. Okay, and they may not, and they're very hard to diagnose. 
all right? But there's a little hint you have to listen for. And it's worse when they get into the bloodstream. And let's not forget about yeast. You know, it's one of the biggest things that dysregulates the immune system, dysregulates the neurotransmitters. But if you don't ask the questions, if you're going to try and, you know, change the angle of a chain by changing each little link, you know, you're going to go nuts. You have to work the entire body. You have to look at what's affecting the entire body. Okay, and then if you're going to, if you understand the epigenetics and nutrigenomics, you can help things along because the genes will point at what pathways maybe will not work as well under an oxidative stress situation. And guess what? That helps you heal people. Okay, it tells you what you might need to give them, but you still have to look at the root cause. You can't treat the genes in a vacuum and by themselves. And I think I'm repeating myself incessantly, okay? And I don't know. That's me drinking water, okay? Anyone else have any other questions? Okay, please throw stuff at me because I see a lot of people in the the, um, chat room and nobody's calling in just yet. So does anyone have commentary on... Methylation in and of itself. Oh, it's this person who keeps popping in and out. Let's see if they'll talk. Hi, nice person in the 214 area code. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hello. Okay, Hello. I saw you pop in. I saw you pop in a couple of times. This is Dr. Armand. Can I answer a question for you? Yes, my question is, I'm down here in Texas, and I have a 30-year-old son who suffered his whole life, and... I think now we finally are figuring out that everything you talk about is exactly what's causing all of his trouble. But I cannot find anybody in our area. And I'm just wondering, are you able to treat people that aren't close to your practice remotely? Mm-hmm. Or do people come and just camp out up there for a while my, so uh, you can figure my, it all out? <laughs> my, my standard joke in response to that is, is, do you think my Australian patients fly in to see me? Uh, (laughs) all the time okay um and one of the reasons we're building a um a good referral list is not so much you know geographic location but to have enough practitioners because i gotta tell you i work seven days a week okay and my my dog started barking at me the other day because i don't think he recognized me that's how little i'm at home Okay, and it was very, it was very, because he's a pit bull, you know. I was like, "What's your problem?" He says, "Oh, it's you, Dad." I did notice, and haven't seen you in a while. I see you cut your hair, you know. (laughs) Okay, but uh, all all kidding aside, yes, I do. Yes, Sean and I and everybody like us, we do things mostly remotely uh, because we have patients all around, all around the world. And believe me when I tell you that um, we can be successful. Somebody needs local intervention. You know, we try and facilitate that, like if somebody was suicidal or, you know, there was a situation that required hands-on treatment, okay, that I would, you know, try and facilitate for them and be honest about what I can and can't do. But for the most part, when people are seeing me, they're, you know, they're, I'm, I become the court of last hope. I'm their 10th doctor, 20th, and I think the highest one was the 75th, okay? And I can't even imagine how many times this person was at a doctor. So in answer your question, yes. I can do that. Okay, great. Great. Well, I don't want to take up time with that, but I'll call your office on another time and get an appointment. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Have a good day. Thank you. That's great information. Thank you. You're welcome. So here we are once again. 
anybody else have any other questions that they'd like to ask? Any arguments about NTHFR? Um, I think maybe I'm hitting the nail on the head with a lot of people because you've heard us talking about this since day one. I started this whole series of Blog Talk Radio podcasts way back when, about um, almost two years ago. Okay, starting with, um, you know, what a diagnosis was. Okay, and um, I wanted people to understand that the labels they were being given were not diagnoses. Okay, that people should start looking for root causes. Okay, then we started talking about leaky gut, and we talked about it. we had a lot of people, um, you know, experts, and we had a lot of uh, people with, um, you know, great stories of of hope and so forth. And it built upon built upon built, but the whole idea always remained the same. Okay, look for the root causes, look for the downstream effects. Consider the reason we created bioindividualized medicine was to create several points that we insisted that doctors would look at. We wanted them to look at the genes. We wanted them to look at neurology, endocrinology, immunology, mitochondrial dysfunction, and cell wall integrity. Okay, and the conglomeration of that was, you know, forcing them to look at the whole body. Okay, the permutations of that, uh, way back in the 70s, you had uh, psychoneuroimmunology. Okay, then as time progressed, um, the Neuroscience Corporation came up with neuroendoimmunology, and this is an extension of that because it encompasses more things. Okay, and we make sure that the healthcare providers look at everything and fix everything by intention, not by accident. Okay, it's the reason why we created it. Uh, it's easy to create a computer program. It's easy to make a lot of money by saying, "Ooh, look at this," and just you know, plug this in, and here you go. It tells you exactly what to do. It's really hard to get doctors to do what they were supposed to do way back when. Yeah, and they're supposed to do now, which is think. Okay. The nice person in the 810 area code, are you there? Yes, I'm here. And what question can I answer for you? Um, I'm just getting ready to send out a 23andMe um, at the advice of a doctor I heard speak. Um, I know I have mm -hmm. a some methylation issues, MTHFR, um, I have celiac genes, I have BRCA2. And so mm -hmm. I was just wondering what kind of information would I be able to get from this test without trying to, like you said, treat the genes? Um, you know, what do you do with something like this? You know, I'm really glad you called, okay? I'm seriously, that, that is a wonderful question, okay? Uh, let me address it in pieces, if you if you, if you would uh, allow me. Sure. Uh, one, why why 23andMe over anybody else? Well, 23andMe in and of itself doesn't tell you anything. They're not supposed to tell you anything. But you get access to your raw data, which is all your genes. Nobody right. else gives you access to the raw data. Now, you can take that raw data, and you can run it through one of the simple or robust applications, and you'll see... Like generally, there's 825 genes in it that are put into the pathways, and you can have a feeling for what the pathways will do under certain loads. Okay. Also, the benefit of 23andMe is that your raw data will always be there. That's you. That's not going to change. So let's say something new comes out that you want to investigate. You could just go right back to 23andMe to have a search engine, and it can search your data and you can see if that is a problem that you might have, 
okay? And you don't have to pay the thousands of dollars for a SureRx or any of these other guys, okay, who are looking at, yeah, they're doing a good job, but they're looking at a very small set of genes, okay? And usually they're geared towards most medical doctors who are giving certain medications. Um, using the 23andMe raw data and the appropriate application, you can see generally how your various pathways may act. You can look at your methylation pathway, you can look at the methionine pathway and all the other pathways I was babbling about a few minutes ago. And when you have an idea of what might not be working, you know, and correlated to your clinical condition, now all of a sudden you've got a pathway of healing. Okay, it's not the genes that you're fixing, it's the genetic expression. And then when you know how it's expressing, you say, hmm, this person's got this, this, and this. They're having all kinds of anxiety because, you know, their COMT is not breaking down the catecholamines. MAOA is not breaking down the catecholamines. They've got GAD SNPs, so glutamate is not turning into GABA. And, you know, they've had a history of, you know, exposure to Lyme or exposure to this or this. And you say, okay, now I understand what caused the upregulation, why it continued, why this person has anxiety disorder or anger or oppositional defiance disorder or OCD, and what do I do about it? Okay, well, I know these pathways are kind of, you know, blocked up. Let me get at the root cause. Let me start detoxifying them. Let me get at the root causes. Let me compensate. Let me do the proper testing. If it's a neurotransmitter thing, let me do the proper neurotransmitter testing so I know how to target the neurotransmitter with amino acids. Okay, and it shortens the distance between being sick and being well because... Now I know where to point, where to look, okay, whereas before you're guessing. And uh, recently when I was lecturing um, a whole mess of medical doctors and they look at the neurotransmitter test and they throw their nose up in the air and say, well, that's not the CNS, central nervous system. And I'm like, yeah, I know that. It's CNS plus your peripheral nervous system, but it's supposed to be used as biomarkers. You don't look at the number, you look at the patterns. Okay, and that's what can guide you whether you're prescribing pharmaceutically or nutraceutically. And by the way, what are you guys using as biomarkers? Okay, and all I heard was silence. And I usually wait until I hear crickets, okay? And as soon as I hear the crickets, I turn to them and say, you're not using biomarkers, you're guessing. Okay, so if you understand the genetic pathways, you can see where the quote-unquote weaknesses are given a certain amount of oxidative stress. So it gives you where to look. And what, you know, I can look at somebody's testing and say, you know something? They haven't even looked at what is most probably the problem. It shortens the the guesswork because it's not really guesswork anymore. All right, so if you have um, a bunch of genes that you're concerned about, okay, and uh, the BRAC I understand, uh, you have to really think about genetic expression. How would you fix that? You look at the whole body. Okay, what causes a gene to express? Everybody who's got the predisposition to breast cancer does not get breast cancer. Okay, otherwise anybody who had a polymorphism in that gene, okay, would have breast cancer, but the probabilities are a bit higher. How do you mitigate the probabilities? You start treating the body and making sure that, you know, that this person doesn't have a lot of inflammation, that have what they need to heal themselves, you know, that you take off the stressors, and I'm talking about physical stressors, Okay, and the body will work the way it's supposed to. Okay, if you're, um, the example I give everybody here is that we have Interstate 95, which is eight lanes wide, and then we have someplace called the Blue Route. 
okay, that is about two or three lanes wide. Okay, so that's like a normal genetic pathway going into a polymorphic genetic pathway. And if during rush hour, you're not going any place fast. You might as well just get off and have dinner. Okay, but at 3 o'clock in the morning, you can pop on I-95, go 75 miles an hour, go straight up the Blue Route, okay, at 75 miles an hour. As long as there's no state police, you're going to just sail on through. What's the difference? It's still eight lanes and two lanes. It's still regular and amount of traffic. Okay, so if you look at somebody from that point of view, you can start saying, hey, these are the areas that may not work. Let me see if they're expressing there. And even if they are, what do you do about it? You don't treat the genius. You, what, what may cause this? If somebody has a lot of ADH or problems with their acetylation pathway, which means they can't handle aldehydes, okay, well, they'll have trouble with alcohol because alcohol becomes aldehyde. But mostly, if they're expressing, they have a lot of trouble with yeast because yeast produces a lot of acetylaldehyde. And acetylaldehyde is what causes all kinds of havoc. And that's why yeast in the 1980s was saying, don't feed the yeast, don't feed the yeast, because it was blamed on everything. So I see somebody with the pathways that I know won't handle a lot of aldehydes. And I start asking them about yeast infections and look at, you know, and their tongue is white and, you know, nobody's even paid attention to it. Well, gee, I think I know where I'm heading to fix somebody. I want to decrease the amount of inflammation in that body. I want to decrease the probabilities that those other genes will start expressing because the immune system doesn't have the wherewithal, okay, to handle all the different battles it needs, that it needs to handle. So methylation is important, but it's not the only thing. You've got to look at the whole body. And if you fix the whole body, it will work the way that it's supposed to. It's all a matter of traffic. If you want to know the principle, you want to turn physiology back to an infant's physiology. Okay, if you can achieve that, most people will get better. So when you mentioned, um, and I'm not quite sure how you said this, but basically the appropriate tool to decipher a 23andMe test are certain companies or programs, I mean, just to see what the possibilities are of Absolutely. the problem. Yeah, the the problem is that you it, it's, it would be, it's not impossible, but it would be tedious and very time-consuming for you to go to the 23andMe search engine and search each gene out, okay? Trust me when I tell you you'll be courting psychosis doing it, all right? And there's, there's several programs out there that will take the 23andMe information and search the genes and then tell you if there are polymorphisms there or not. Um, Sterling's app, I think, is the better one. It's the mo And her version, too, is robust. It's a little daunting if you don't understand how to read it, but that's why you need somebody to interpret it. Okay, um, there are other companies that have similar applications. Genetic Genie is free, but it gives you a very small view of everything. Okay, so you see the methylation pathway, you see the detoxification pathways, but little parts of it, and it doesn't include other pathways. Okay, so it's hard to look at that and say, okay, I have a good view of, of as much of the biochemistry as I can, okay? And the, there are programs out there that will look at the polymorphisms and then tell you what to take, okay, which I think is dangerous. And there are other programs that kind of line everything up by, you know, reds, yellows, and greens, okay? And I've looked at those, and I'm like, they're not even in the pathways. I, I think they're just looking to scare people, <laughs> okay? I don't know why, because, you know, they're not kind of selling anything, but they're not also using the information they've been given, you know? Um, so 
yes, you do need to run it through, and unfortunately, um, there isn't. Um, you need to work with a healthcare provider that at least can pull out the basic pathways and understand what they mean in context of your particular physical condition. This right. is okay. what takes time to learn. So the the one you mentioned, the Sterling application, you said. Mm-hmm. Wh- that's what at is- MTHFR. That's at MTHFRsupport.com. Okay, thank you. Okay, that's easy. If you go to that website, you'll you can read all about it. It's very very easy, and they have a ton of information for you to read. Um, you know, since they since they're not selling anything but the app, you know, a lot of the information you can hold as being, you know, um, pretty well truthful. Okay, when something's connected to a product line, you have you have to put a big grain of salt into it. You absolutely have to. Thank you very much. You're most welcome. If I could help you, give me a scream. Thank you. Okay, anybody else? Anybody else who has any questions about any aspect of epigenetics, nutrigenomics? Um, it's kind of what I do for a living, so I'm always happy to talk about it, as you can tell. You know, my kids don't even let me talk about it at home because uh, <laughs> they don't want to hear it anymore. Um, okay. Well, I guess I'm going to wait for about another minute to see if anybody has any questions and uh, let you know that uh, we're going to be um, getting some more good speakers. Um, There's several people who have very hopeful stories to tell, okay, and I want them to share it with you because these are people who have taken life-threatening illnesses and turned them around. Oh, another person. Very good. Hi, this is Dr. Armine. Hello. Yes, hi. Is that uh, me on the line? Hello? I'm sorry, Sam. Hello? Can is you hear there me? a question I can answer? Yeah. I can hear yeah, you, I sure. Yeah, I have a question. Uh, yeah, I have a question. Um, at what point do you have this uh, the genetic profile? Um, is it the beginning thing that you do when you treat uh, your patients, or it comes up later after you you know been doing other tests or anything, or you prefer to do that first? That's a really good question. It, uh, generally speaking, um, I take my patients as they come to me. So lots of times. They, uh, one of the reasons they come to me is because uh, they have their 23 me and they don't know how it fits in or their doctors don't know how to fit in. If you were going to take a, a patient fresh, uh, frankly, there's, you don't need the 23 me right off the bat, okay, because you can take a history, see what's already been done, uh, and start the process of getting the body working again. Because um, the 23 me will point you in certain directions, but generally speaking, at the beginning, it isn't critical. Okay, it becomes more critical if you start hitting walls. Okay, the nice thing about the 23andMe is it's not super expensive. There's a lot of genetic tests out there that run into the thousands of dollars. 23andMe is $99, and if you were going to put it through Sterling's app, that's $30. It's probably the best $129 you'll ever spend because of the amount of information you can get from it. Okay, but um, is it critical? At the very beginning of treating somebody, I would say no, but it really does depend. Okay, it kind of depends on that particular person's history and have all their doctors hit walls. And that is when I usually get people. I get people when 
other doctors have failed or, or, you know, I tend to get, I won't name names, but even the big famous doctors, Sean and I get them, we get their failures, okay, and we have a real high, you know, high success rate of treating them because we, you know, can sit back and say, okay, <laughs> what stone's been left unturned here? And, um, you know, that's, that's pretty good to, uh, it's a pretty good position to be in. But an answer to your question, honestly, it depends, but um, you can start treating somebody without it rather, rather well. And it depends on their particular condition. You may want to know about the genes earlier than later, but um, I don't mean to be evasive, but it, it kind of depends on the situation. Mm-hmm. But you would prefer to have that done. It would help to uh, resolve the issues, it, right? It helps. It helps to understand why somebody may have gotten ill. If you put it together with their history, history is everything, okay, and you put it together with whatever testing you already have. So it is helpful in that step, especially if you have somebody who's been ill for a long time, they're simply not getting better. Uh, that's when it becomes more informative, okay? If you have somebody who's not been treated well or treated optimally, okay, there's lots of stuff you need to be doing before you would even get to what the genes would give you. If I had somebody with bad, you know, Lyme and yeast and so forth, I'm not going to throw them on, you know, or ask, ask their doctors to throw them on, you know, antimicrobials until I get their body ready to, you know, accept that because otherwise I'm just going to make them more ill. Okay, and the knowledge of the genes maybe help me do that, but, you know, I'm still going to do probably a very gentle detoxification and start the process of giving them their... Um, you know, their buffers back and, you know, basically getting their bodies working. And lots of times this really turns people around rather quickly. So it's, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, it all depends. But uh, so I can't really answer the question without a lot of, inf- without a lot more information. But, you know, of course, the best of all worlds is to have all the testing you ever need and your genes and everything all sitting in front of you. And you can answer the question from an arm. But um, mm-hmm. this is not a perfect world. So I have to say it depends. Yeah. Okay. And another question, uh, quickly. Uh, what uh, what kind of uh, neuro neurotransmitter testing do you use in your work in your practice? I generally use uh, Pharmason Labs, <clears throat> which is the neuroscience mm-hmm. corporation. Uh, there are other tested testing companies out there. It's just the one that I've been using for a long time, and I'm used to the. Um, I know how they report. I know the validity of their testing. And um, it's usually a urine test. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter whether you use urine or serum because it's all going to be a mixture of what's in the peripheral and central nervous system. Uh, some people argue that the serum tests are more accurate, and I would disagree with that uh, because if you look at the reference ranges for the serum, serum test, it's like zero to whatever. So what they're trying to say is that if you have no neurotransmitter, it's still normal, which doesn't make any sense. Okay, at least um, with the uh, urine test, if it's taken properly, you're going to get a reasonable range that will give you a a pattern that you can look at, which usually correlates with the patient's symptomatology, and then you know what steps to take to reestablish the normal neurotransmitter balance. Okay, sometimes that can be... So you use their supplementation? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, say, say again, please. 
No, I I know that uh, the neuroscience lab, they also have their line of supplements. So you use their supplementation depending on the test results. Is that correct? That is not correct. I very rarely Uh use neuroscience as supplementation because it's expensive. Okay, uh, way back when I used to use it a lot. But uh, generally speaking, if you need to give somebody 5-hydroxytryptophan, I I don't need to give them an expensive product. I will send them to Amazon and tell them exactly what to get. Okay, Mm -hmm. Uh, the thing that neuroscience... There's a couple of products that neuroscience has that no one else has. Um, One of them has a uh, rhodiola in it that is 15 or 17% rosavins. And you can't get that anywhere else. That's a very hefty... Dose. If you pick up rhodiola anywhere else, it's three percent residents. So sometimes you got to bite the bullet. Okay. Uh, it used to be that the phenylated GABA that they use, Cavanese, was the only one on the market. But there are other companies out there that are making the same phenylated GABA that I've had a lot of success with, and a lot of those other companies are half the price. So um, in my treatment plans, I don't, I don't even look at the recommendations that neuroscience gives me any longer because that's done by a technician. Okay, and I can I can usually teach them, but but they're of course going to be hawking neuroscience's products, okay, um, and they're going to be looking to treat what they see as being imbalanced, but that's not with consideration of the patient's condition. So um, sometimes, like I said, like in, in any in any product line, there are some products that that particular product line makes perfectly and you want to use that one even though it might be pricey okay but for the most part no i don't i don't need to use neuroscience product uh because like Mm -hmm. i said they're real expensive real 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 expensive Mm -hmm. and um i try and keep that in mind when i'm ordering stuff or asking people to get things okay all right thank you you're most welcome thank you Mm -hmm. bye-bye Anyone else would like to ask a question? We've got about eight or nine minutes left. Okay. So bottom line, people, if your healthcare provider is not looking at you from a truly holistic point of view, okay, and they just start talking genetics, and that's it, okay, or they just start talking methylation, you've got to question either question them in your mind or question them outright if what training they've had, okay? If your healthcare provider wants to learn more about uh, bioindividualized medicine or methylation, the reason I'm using the word methylation is everybody's using it, and I want people to ask me about it and so I can explain it to them. When I train people in bioindividualized medicine, they have the biggest idea what I'm talking about. Okay, so I may use the word methylation, but understand that when I train somebody, they're being trained holistically. Okay, and trust me when I tell you, um, I don't train everybody that asks to be trained. Okay, they have to demonstrate to me that they're going to do this correctly before I, they ever get near my list, our list. Okay, Sean's on our list. Okay. Wonderful. Hi, nice person in the 403 area code. This is Dr. Armine. Hi, Dr. Armine. My question is simple. Hi. Um, the question is, how do you improve mitochondrial function using genetics or the 23andMe? Oh, that's a loaded question because you don't. Okay. You want to rephrase the question? Okay. Um, 
if you recognize the um, mitochondrial function has a, a genetic weakness or susceptibility, what would you do? Do you focus on the body or do you focus on a specific treatment for mitochondrial function? Let me answer the question that I that I think you're asking. Okay. How do you use the genes, number one, to, to give you an idea that the mitochondria may not be working too well? Well, right. yeah, the mitochondria... Okay, that's that's one that's one part of the question. Okay, um, there's five. Um, for people who are unaware of this, the way you get your energy is as follows: one mole of glucose. Uh, a mole is not a furry animal, by the way. It's a, it's a measurement. Okay, uh, gives you 38 ATPs. Okay, if you go through the whole reaction, ATP is your actual energy. Okay, the first part of that reaction is glycolysis, where you not going to go through the whole process, but at the end you've got lactic and pyruvic acid and two ATPs. If you're in an alkaline state where you can have a lot of hydroxys, which provide oxygen, those products will go into the Krebs cycle, which is a big honking amount of biochemical reactions that end up in the creation of NADH and FADH2, which are the electron donors for the electron transport chain within the mitochondria. The electron transport chain is that chain of events or that chain of things that end up giving you the other 36 ATPs. So coenzyme Q10 ferries these guys into the first complex, and there's a certain enzyme there, and then second, third, fourth, fifth complex, which is ATP synthase. And if all goes well, everything spits out, and you get your you get your other 36 ATP, so for a total of 38 ATPs. If you see that the first complex, which is run by NDUFS, that particular enzyme, okay, has is homozygous. You know, it's red. And that person happens to have, you know, also has chronic fatigue or is ill or so forth. One of the reasons for that is because oxidized glutathione called GSSG can get stuck in that pathway. There's there's a lot of literature out there showing that that happens. That particular reaction, that particular area is NAD-dependent, NAD okay? So the whole glutathione conjugation pathway requires NAD, and if you can put NAD into the, into the body in sufficient amounts, it'll start taking the oxidized glutathione and turning it into reduced glutathione. Uh, that was first shown by Dr. Medier over in uh, Louisiana, Okay, where he's giving he was giving people IV NAD, which unfortunately is quite expensive. But you know we would send we'd send several people down with horrible, horrible yeah, um, chronic fatigue and um, uh, multiple chemical sensitivities. And in the space of six IVs, you know of this IV NAD, they were out running around and you know you know going to moles and not being knocked out by perfumes and stuff like that. Uh, it had a limited effect, but you know it, it proved the fact that the pathway could be opened up again, and that the pathway could be made functional again. Now, we're talking about mitochondrial dysfunction, which is a part of any kind of chronic illness because of the oxidative stress. Okay, the amount of oxidative compounds can, you know, block up the highways. Okay, and that NADH and FADH2, if they're released without going through that pathway, those are free radicals and cells, so it increases. It's at, you know, you're almost your own creator of oxidative stress. So I don't, treat the, I don't treat the genes. I treat the body. I look at and say, gee, this is one of the reasons that this person might not be feeling well. 
If you remember back to when Coenzyme Q10, why it came to America, way back when, the Japanese dentists were giving Coenzyme Q10 to cure periodontal disease. And then, of course, somebody in multi-level marketing picked it up and brought it to the United States as a yet another panacea, okay, and found out that it helped some people, but not everybody, and that's before they realized that Coenzyme Q10 was the doorman to the mitochondria and helped ferry those products that I spoke about along the electron transport chain. goes to show you that if that system doesn't want to work, you can open yourself up for illness, which is why they had periodontal disease, and the Japanese diet was kind of bereft in Coenzyme Q10. So in a long, a roundabout way of answering your question is you use it as an indicator, and how you would treat it is by reducing the oxidative stress. But if you see that the that the mitochondrial pathway might be the thing, you know, that might be blocked up. You might want to add in more NAD or NADH uh, because you know it's an NAD-dependent pathway, so it may means more niacinamide. If I'm using, if I'm, we're using intravenous work, we tend to use a, a B-complex with a high amount of niacinamide if we see that particular pattern. Okay, it's what shortens the distance in, in healing somebody. Am I answering your question? Yes, and then what... Would a conditional create more oxidative stress to block that pathway? I'm sorry, um, I didn't hear what you said. I apologize. Okay, would a condition like think? chronic Lyme create more oxidative stress to block that pathway? For the second time, I didn't hear the word after chronic. Lyme. Oh, sure, absolutely. Are you kidding? Okay, you know, when you have, you have chronic infection, it's going to create all kinds of oxidative stress. And the mechanism of it is real simple. If you've got a, a bunch of microorganisms that, by their very nature, spirochetes are going to irritate the heck out of the neural tissue. But just picture having a whole mess of microorganisms that are dumping their waste products, okay, into your whole lymphatic system because that's where they dump their waste products, into the extracellular, into the extracellular space, okay? So by, by definition, you know, those are acidic, okay, those are toxic, and that's increasing oxidative stress in and of itself, just by definition. Okay, so, so we'll usually have, when somebody has... Huh? So will heavy metal poisoning and, and mold toxins do the same thing too? Absolutely. You know, it's the body's reaction to heavy metals. Mold toxins, you know, have their own special nastiness to the body. Okay, yeast has its own special nastiness, as parasites do. Okay, but what is the nastiness? The nastiness is oxidative stress. It's more oxidating compounds, which are the base reason, which was originally researched by Dirk Pearson and Sandy Shaw in their book Life Extension way back when. Okay, it's the base reason for cellular aging, cellular destruction. Okay, and that's where we all started thinking about free radicals. You know, we don't mean Abby Hoffman, but you have to be pretty old to understand that joke. Okay, um, but that's when people started thinking about you know, oxidating compounds and oxidative stress and antioxidants and so forth, okay? But the thing is to look at everything together, okay, looking at the whole body, looking at all the different things that can cause oxidative stress and not only looking at what can cause it, but what it's done. This is why people with chronic illnesses tend to still be ill because we tend to go after the bugs but not go after what the bugs did to the body, okay? And that's what I think that our contribution to healthcare 
Sean and I in creating bioindividualized medicine is to have people look at both ends and have them work it and fix it by intention. It's not perfect, but boy, we're a whole lot farther along in healing than we were just a scant two years ago. Well, that answers my question. Thank you. You're most welcome. Thank you for calling. Okay, guys, I think that we're kind of at the end of this. Uh, I appreciate your time, your thoughts, uh, and I want to give you a little gift here. If you are with a healthcare provider and you're you know, not sure and they're start trying to um, shove a lot of product in your direction and you know, you're getting uncomfortable, and I want to give you some traveling music as you're running out the office, okay? Um, really expect of your healthcare providers that they act correctly and get trained correctly. You deserve it. I will see you all next week. This is my best way of saying just slip out the back. Okay, and find yourself a provider that knows where to talk about it. The problem is all inside your head, she said to me. The answer is easy if you take it logically. I'd like to help you in your struggle to be free There must be 50 ways to leave your lover She said it's really not my habit to intrude Furthermore, I hope my meaning won't be lost or misconstrued But I'll repeat myself At the risk of being crude There must be 50 ways to leave your lover Fifty ways to leave your lover You just slip out the back, Jack Make a new plan, Stan You don't need to be coy, Roy Just get yourself free Hop on the bus, Gus You don't need to discuss much Just hop off the key, And get yourself free Ooh, slip out the back, Jack Make a new plan, Stan You don't need to be coy, Roy just Okay. Be a little cynical. Be a little bit careful. Okay, you'll know if you're being treated well. Okay. And I just want to warn you what's going on. Me and me just accept most people are chronic illness. Not getting better. Would you please the reason I started this is you will be down. Okay? So, she said, if you're uncomfortable, don't pushing you in the third direction, just flip out the back. Okay? Can't bring a dead cat to the United States and not hit a duck. Okay, so, guess what? There must be 50 ways to leave your dog with you. Just slip out the back, Jack. Make a new plan, Make a new plan, man. You don't need to be coy, Roy. Or you hop on the bus. You don't need to discuss much. Just drop off the key. And get yourself free. Everybody has a big time. Slip out the back, Jack. Make a new plan, man.